Why? I, this is the first podcast that you're eating on. <laughs> do, do we need to come back after you're done eating? No, I'm good. I just put my bread in the oven, too. <laughs> you're making bread? I'm this making cor- bread. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we give you the tools to repair your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence in troubled times. Good day. Oh, you changed it. No, I never changed it. I just kind of like, you know, mix it up a little, mix it up a little. (laughs) Keep it current, keep it current. Like, there's nothing worse than like a podcast intro that's recorded the same every single time. I suppose that's true. I can't stand. I listen to some podcasts where it's like the first seven minutes are like pre-recorded garbage. Well, not garbage, but you know, it's just like, okay, enough, enough. Get to somebody that's telling me something new. We know the intro has in fact been different every single time. It's, yeah, the entire format of the show has been different every single It's time. pretty much how you know we're not robots. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, so this episode, the Money Mechanic is back with you again as usual. We are so sh- physically distancing ourselves, and I'm here with the accountant. Yes. Uh, I'm a little concerned, though, because the mechanic there dropped off beer to my house and told me that it was a Category 12 Pilsner. And I've done some research and there is no category 12 Pilsner. So what am I drinking? <laughs> well, I left it on your front step and I wiped the bottle down and uh, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. should be okay. I, I, well, okay. depending on what's in it. All right. All right. Well, so let's get right down to it. Uh, this well, first of all, this is The Economist. And I want to say I'm upset <laughs> because you didn't deliver me. Well, you just chose beer. not to live in the city with us anymore. Hey, they still have a ferry service. It's just less frequent. It, you know, this is like the this is like the second episode in a row where you're like you're mad at me because I'm drinking Winnipeg beer. Now you're mad at me because I'm drinking other beer. Like we can't this social distancing, if physical distancing doesn't work for our show. We need to not sit really. in the same room. Absolutely, yes, that's true. Anyway, we apologize, listeners, if we're not quite as good as we used to be, but we are still the same jack wagons that we always were. So. <laughs> Wonder where uh, the jack wagon is. <laughs> so listen. Important note that uh, the accountant is drinking a Category 12 Pilsner, which doesn't have a blur. But the interesting news was because our curling club closed down early for the season and we missed a couple bond spills, which was quite Very tragic. Sad. Quite tragic, actually. Yeah. But the there is a, a, a slight silver lining there where uh, we don't want beer to go bad. No, of course. That would be horrible. As a charity, well, it's not a big event, but we have I've procured some beer and uh, given back to the club so that now we are not letting this beautiful beer by Category 12 Brewing in Saanich, British Columbia, go bad. So tonight, uh, I dropped off uh, from a long distance some Pilsner to the accountant and myself. I have Juicy Data, which does have a blurb, and I'm going to read it for you. And we- Are you sure the accountant doesn't have Hoyne Pilsner? No, no. I saw it come out of the tap from a distance. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> the Category 12 Juicy Data, which we've many of us have had after our curling games, and it's a, it's a sweet 6.1%, which uh, always took the little aches and pains from curling away. I know everybody out there is laughing going, really? Curling? Don't you drink before curling? No, we actually work hard. Anyway, we have... Well, metic- we drink before as well. Yeah. It's Anyway, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> We have meticulously blended four luscious hop varieties to squeeze the maximum possible tropical fruit juiciness 
out of our enormous hop additions. You'll find this naturally hazy, double dry hopped IPA to be a delicious, aromatic, fruity kick to the taste buds that will keep you coming back for more. And I'm very happy to say I've got a growler of it, and there may be a little more later. Yeah, I noticed that you didn't give me the juicy data. Uh, hey, beggars can't be choosers. So you got something. Well, that's hey, that's true. I'm not saying I'm upset with a beer delivery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough times right now. Anyway, it and, is uh, tough times. Uh, so over there in the on um, the continent, we have the economy. Yeah, it's, it's it's very tough times. I have no beer, <laughs> and I'm I'm relegated to drinking uh, whiskey. Tapping into the reserves. Yeah. So I have a uh, high west. Whiskey, son of Born. You, you, as, know, you know who's going to like this the best? Who's that? Is Jordan Mass. Yeah. Probably. Mr. Yes. Money Master. Yeah. He loves yeah. his bourbon. Yeah. yeah. So just reading the front of this, uh, this bottle, I see that they've highlighted the first letter of each of son of Born. They've kind of uh, put an accent on there. So that's interesting. But anyhow, off to the blurb. Settle in. This is going to be a while. well don't worry the accountant's got some food to munch on yeah perfect (laughs) jackalopes also called antelabbits these are an (laughs) antlered species of rabbits a cross between a jackrabbit and an antelope it is rumored that pockets of jackalope populations continue to persist in the american west its native home when cowboys gather by their campfires to sing at night jackalopes are frequently heard singing back mimicking the voices. When chased, the jackalope will use its vocal ability to elude capture. For instance, when chased by people, it will call out phrases such as, there he goes, over there, in order to throw pursuers off its track. Legend suggests the best way to catch a jackalope is to lure it with whiskey, which they are particularly fond of. Once intoxicated, the animal becomes slower and easier to hunt. That's why High West created the original born. Burai, actually, I think is how it's spelled or <laughs> pronounced. Uh, now the legend continues with Son of Burai, a blend of straight bourbon and rye whiskey is sure to attract even the most fickle of jackalopes. The bourbon is a minimum of five, year old, five years old, the rye three years old. Important, jackalopes will attack if cornered or provoked. To avoid injury, quickly fall to the ground, remain calm and still while humming the Roy Rogers song. Happy trails to you. <laughs> if there are multiple jackalopes, they will begin singing in the round with you. Make your escape after the second verse. So, wow, clearly, that's quite the story on that bottle. Oh, I missed, I missed a bit. By the, <laughs> by the way, Son of Burai is best enjoyed around a campfire while looking at the Milky Way. Clearly, the whole point of that blurb is to read it after you get kind of like a quarter way through the bottle and going... I feel pretty messed up right now. What is <laughs> <Where's>, this stuff? <laughs> where's the jackalope? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, uh, here we are again, physically distanced. Uh, just trying to record something because we miss getting together and, and doing it. So tonight, the accountant thought we should probably talk about bonds. Bonds, indeed. And, and I jumped up and down. I hadn't done the happy step for quite a while and said this is going to be the most interesting topic we've ever done 
Bonds, yeah. <laughs> it's not at all makes you want to shoot yourself. I was going right from Sean Connery all the way up to Roger Moore and then on. And I thought we were talking about James Bond, but no. <laughs> can, can we buy the rights to the James? Is that an investment that's available? I well, oh, that's an interesting one. Is I didn't tell you guys about that music one where you can actually buy the rights to music. I heard about that. Yeah, you we, told we were us. all talking about it. Yeah, yeah. we, we might have even about- talked about it on the show. Did we? I don't think so because mm. I don't remember putting it in the show notes. I don't either. Yeah. What I, was the company called? Well, good question. <laughs> it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> but anyway, let's get back on track here. So. I think the discussion that the accountant wanted to have was many people in the FI space are heavy into equities. Yes. Because we feel that we have a long, well, many of us have a long time period. And even if you go into retirement, just because you're, even if it's a, a fire retirement, you still have a long time period in the market. So you can accept that volatility. Yes. And, but I think one of the reasons that I thought we should talk about bonds is I've seen a lot of stuff online lately with people highlighting, oh, well, if you had a balanced portfolio, instead of being down 30%, you'd only be down 15 right now. But you wouldn't have had the gains before that either. And that's what nobody is talking about. Okay. So, accountant, you wanted to bring this up. Give us your synopsis on why you think we should or shouldn't have a bond portion in our portfolios. Well, I think that the whole bond question is really, A, do you have any debts? Do you have a mortgage? Because I'm going to bet you that the rates you're getting on bonds right now is going to be lower than your mortgage rate. So you're probably better off paying down debt than having anything into bonds. But somebody with bonds in their portfolio... They're also uh, subject to price fluctuations in the bond. Absolutely. Bonds have done nothing for so long. They're yielding almost nothing. How much lower can interest rates go, which is what is going to cause bonds to increase in price? There you go. Good question. Right? Like the Bank of Canada rate rate right now is at a quarter of a percent. So like how much lower... That's what makes bond prices go up, right? You buy a bond and then interest rates drop, the bond becomes more valuable. Right. So how do we get bond prices that are really going to make any significant move from here? I mean, in all reality, things probably turn around. Interest rates at some point, you would think, have to maybe start inching their way up. And if anything, your bond's going to get less valuable. So now you've got a less valuable bond and you're getting garbage interest on it. Sounds exciting. Right? (laughs) So my question is, is in the last... um, 10 years that we've been in the bull market, uh, we should have expected interest rate going up that whole time. As the economy gets better, the interest rate should go up. I mean, let's not get into too much of a socioeconomic discussion here about what interest rates should or shouldn't be and right. what yeah. quantitative easing and all the rest of it. But in my mind, as a semi-educated investor is the, the the plan is that you balance your volatility and we go back to the traditional age bias of what you should have as equity and bond and i think it i think a lot of that mentality comes from a very stagnant uh, market in the sense where you go yep 
uh, I should have 60 equity, 40 bond because that was a paradigm that existed in the past. Yeah. And that worked for a, a, a certain period of time. And, and bonds can come into play if you're worried about volatility. But if you're worried about volatility, doesn't a good emergency plan help you more than just saying that you're going to sit on bonds? And really, like the mechanic is saying, over the past decade or so, the bonds, the interest rate set by the government haven't allowed bonds to act as that volatility guard. I agree. Yeah. With any decent return. Well, no, because their their prices aren't swinging. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. Opposite to stocks, which is what you'd hope they would do. Yes, exactly. Right? In the bull market, interest rate goes up, bond prices fall, your portfolio is less volatile. Yeah. So is is the traditional view of holding a a mix that and I of course we're not gonna be able to say to all our listeners, you know, you're you're 40 years old or you're 20 years old, what your portfolio f- should be. And maybe this is a bigger discussion than we can actually have and solve is that paradigm of bring it up again is like, when you're 20, you should be 80%, 20%. And when you're 40, you should be 60%, 40%. Or, you know, it was always the number, right? It was always your yeah. age minus, and that's how much bond you should have, well, which was the traditional wisdom is... What we've seen over the last 10 years and what we're going through now, how does that carry forward? Yeah, well, I think that's a big thing as I'm seeing a bunch of stuff being, oh, well, you know, if you were 65 right now and you were supposed to have your age in bonds, so you were 65 bonds, this wouldn't be that big of a deal. But A, what has age got to do with it? It's got to be about your own personal scenario. Like I've always hated the age, oh, well, if you're that age, well, what if I'm 30 and I'm retired? I should have, you know, most people would say at that age, you don't need any bonds, but maybe you do because that's part of your cash fallback that you have for sequence of return risk if you're an early retiree. Like everybody's situation is so different that the whole age thing is just such a stupid thing to just blanket coverage. Oh, well, if you're getting closer to retirement, you should be 60, 40. Well, what other investments do you have? What kind of liquidity do you have? Like, so you think there should be more of an emphasis on an overall financial plan than on a bond to equity ratio? I mean, how many times do we come back to the individual financial plan <laughs> being the solution to a lot of your problems? It absolutely, and The Economist is absolutely right there. It's an individual plan. And I had an interesting discussion earlier on tonight with um, a couple of the weirs. I'm doing a lot of Zoom meetings now, which is awesome. It's fun. But I was having this discussion with this, um, a couple that um, he is retired technically early but uh not in the fire sense and in his 30s but he he has a pension income in canada and how is that not like a bond yeah he well it's nothing like a bond (laughs) it's It's not like like a bond it's an annuity it's a new well you're right it is an annuity totally but he also doesn't want any risk in the market because he doesn't want he doesn't want to be in equities that are paying him cash flow because it just incurs higher taxes. That seems like a good problem to have. It's a great but. problem to have, but if we're all in the FI bandwagon here, yeah. And those are kind of things we're going to have to think about in the future is like the best the best worst problem we can have is 
and taxes. taxes. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Right. But I, I want to get, I want to dump trucks to the revenue Canada, <laughs> right? My, my front door to revenue Canada's front door. I want to send dump trucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's success boys. <laughs> but it is. Yeah. But I think being smart portfolio management is important. And, we're still in the accumulation phase and we haven't looked, we haven't seen, we haven't opened that door to the next step where you're like, Oh, uh, maybe you don't have a pension. Maybe you do. Hey, one of the discussions that I wanted to ask the accountant about was like, if you've got a mortgage, well, how is that not like your own bond? Anyway, you're paying a, a down a fixed interest instead of receiving that fixed interest, but a bond pays me cash flow. Your primary resident doesn't. So take it from there. Sure. But if you're just looking at it from cash flows, let's say you have a HELOC, you could have a bond that's paying you 2%, but you pay 3% on your HELOC. So sure, that 2% comes in the door and then you got to pay out 3%. You're way better off to pay down the HELOC. What about a primary mortgage that's just where you live? Like if I've got, if I still owe 200K on my mortgage, should my portfolio have a bond component or should I just be paying down aggressively like above and beyond the regular payments pay it down because i get the pre-tax i I get where you're coming from here but let's look at it from a way of cash flows you are going to have to pay that mortgage until it's gone yeah so if you're investing in a bond that's at a lower rate than your mortgage i don't care that one's an investment and one's the house you live in there's a cash flow going out the door at a higher rate than the cash flow coming in the door in the bond. Why wouldn't you pay down the mortgage? And the price of bond isn't going to go up because it's so low. Exactly. Because interest is so low. Because interest is so low. And the other thing I'm, I'm saying in all of this is what would feel more secure to you in volatile times? Having a paid off home or holding a bond and then having a mortgage on your house? I mean, if the bond's at 14%, I would want the bond. You, you stopped looking like you were wanting an answer when yeah. I thought your question was rhetorical. It, it was, was totally <laughs> rhetorical. <laughs> and that's where I just, I don't see with where bond prices are and interest rates right now, I just don't see it as an investable asset class for me in my current scenario. I'm not saying that I would never invest in bonds like down the road if I have paid off house and I'm getting closer to pulling the plug, then absolutely I would start bringing that in. But for me right now, like I don't see the point. Well, I think the other question is given the way interest rates have been set in the, this century, is there an alternative asset class that can take the place of bonds? Yeah. As a volatility hedge. That's a great question. That's it. Yeah. I don't have the answer. But hey, it takes an economist to ask that question because that's legit. What, like I said, is what we used to think was the appropriate asset allocation between stocks and bonds may just not apply anymore. And we're not, nobody's quite sure of where we go from here. And is anybody talking about it really? We are. Well, we are. are. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, mainstream media, probably not. Nothing I've heard. At some point, too, you have to think that eventually, with the increased risk that's in the world right now, that lenders are going to demand more money for loans. Totally. Right? At some point, they have to start saying, there is a risk involved with making these loans. I'm not taking on that risk for 2%. 
I don't know what just happened, but it was great. You had to run out of the room and <laughs> what? Uh, you know what? I want to get in. On I the thought cr- we were getting the accountant's hot take, so I I just took a break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a lie. Closing a door in this recording studio. Bring it back in, accountant. Yeah, I just I don't see a world where in the current market that people can continue lending like this for the next twenty years and not demanding a better return. There's a lot of risk right now. There's a ton of risk. The banks can continue to do it because they're borrowing money at nothing. Well, yes. So they get a spread. Absolutely. And, and get so a spread. is the government. Yes. And the, well, government the government is now printing money. Well, but yeah, because they bring the rate down so they can print the money. Yeah. But like, at what point does the global debt crisis hit a level where people realize that it's freaking out of control? So I think that might be the next episode is uh, the debt crisis. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest here. Household debt has been skyrocketing. They didn't fix the credit problem in 2008 and 2009. They just passed it along and kicked it down the road. And that's what that's what's happening now because everybody's ruining my recession. We'll, yes. we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that topic next time. Okay. Getting back onto... So what I really want to like drill down into here is... A lot of us and a lot of our listeners are thinking that they're self-directed investors. Yes. And that they've chosen an acceptable portfolio for themselves. And some of them are using Vigro or VBAL or VCNS, V Conservative, right? Um, Boo. <laughs> <laughs> they've chosen those because this is the traditional model of personal finance. What is your risk? What is your time frame? What are you comfortable with? What what can you stomach seeing happen to your portfolio? And this is what I think it comes down to right now is we've all seen it. And many of us have probably asked that question going, was I prepared for that level of risk? Was I prepared for that level of volatility? Can you still sleep at night knowing that you're down 30%? The bond component of those portfolios is supposed to smooth this ride, right? Yeah. It's like my Vigro account is, I, this is hypothetical numbers, is down 20%, but my V Bal is only down 15 and my V conservative is only down 10. So isn't that the argument, regardless of whether bonds are performing or interest rates? I don't want to learn all that. I just want to yeah. know that I'm only down 10%. Right. That's, again, a personal preference, though. Like that is... You have to understand, though, by not being able to stomach that, you're going to be leaving something on the table. And I think that's the exact point, is that over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, like you got to extrapolate these numbers out longer than we can comprehend. Yes. We're way too in the present, all of us, right? We don't think how great things were a year ago. We think how terrible they are today. Yeah. And, you know, you had a great point. The the guy you chirped on Twitter, <laughs> Jerry picked uh, and said, hey, we're at the exact same level as 2007. Really, at the end of the day, does your bond component help you sleep at night or does it help you grow wealth over the long term? Right. And that's, I mean, for me, I also look at it as a, I demand higher than a 2% expected return. So with where interest rates are right now, 
if you get a bond for 2%, I don't see interest rates being able to go lower. So I don't see the price appreciation. I don't, I'm not happy with a 2% return. So I don't care what the hell the asset is. I'm not happy only getting a 2% return. Now, I, I just want to say that you know, not everybody can imagine a world where we go to a negative, negative interest rate, but it, it, it definitely is possible and it's happened. True. Yes, absolutely. So if you're listening and thinking, well, yeah, we're at 0.25, we can't go to zero, we can't go below zero. Yes, it can happen. Mm-hmm. So I just want to throw that out there. Yes, that is true. That's a good point. So as an economist, how does that impact our kind of day-to-day world life if we go negative? Well, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's what I'm asking you. I mean, you just don't keep cash. Did you guys talk about this like in your education to become an economist? No, because c- uh, it wasn't possible. Right. Right? Yeah. People didn't even think that was the thing that was going to happen. Right. I mean, there's a couple things that have allowed it to be possible. One, the persistent low interest rates. Yeah. And, and two, technology and, and uh, e-banking. Yeah. Well, and I think another thing to bring up in the whole, this is a little off the topic of where you were going, but when, when there was massive interest rates in the 80s, like, of course, then bonds have an absolute spot in your portfolio and probably more than the percentages that people say today. Like if you're getting 12, 13% off a bond, I'll take all the bonds in the world. Well, right? you it's also, all about return. But you got to keep in mind a lot of that was inflation. Uh, yes, absolutely. Which you would have had to take into account then. But yes. generally, interest rates were higher in the yes. past. And look at uh, your money or your life. The original author was a proponent of all bonds, right? Yeah. And yeah. they were talking about, okay, well, you're just going to get 6% payments and you just buy enough bonds that 6% of the bonds you owe pays for your living expenses. The reality now, though, is that I can't get a 6% coupon bond. Yeah. You guys make great points. I'm old enough to remember Canada Savings Bonds as a kid being like 10 or 12, my mom's like, well, if you can save up all your money and get a $100 Canada Savings Bond, you're going to get 4.5% on it. And it's like, I'd give the Category 12 beer that I enjoy right now to get 4.5% on a... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Right? It just... But so so here we are with this shift. And too much of personal finance is... It hasn't evolved fast enough for what's gone on. And who's... Yeah, keep fifty percent in bonds that have such low expected returns. Now it's like, what is even the point? Like that's basically. I mean, it's it's only a little better than having it all in cash, right? I mean, by a very small amount. Yeah, I I hadn't thought about it because I have no bonds. But now that we're talking about it, I'm thinking about it. Surely there's some asset class that's better than bonds for protecting against volatility. I don't know. Do you guys know it? I haven't thought about it. Uh, not sure. Yeah, maybe one of our listeners has thought about this question. I love yeah. real estate for it. <laughs> I think that's a great hedge. It really, right? really I mean, is. I got rent. My but rent I mean, might go up or down a little bit, but I'm getting rent every month. Is it really a hedge though? Because look, no, at, it's a more steady cash flow. Right. Right. It's look at 0708 when the markets tanked in the U.S. So did the entire U.S. housing market. Well, and we right. might be, depending on what happens with the credit oh, crisis, we yeah. could be headed there right now. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm just saying it, it's not really an instrument that works the same way as, as bonds 
traditionally have. Yes, that's that's true. Is this the point where you enter in with private lending? That's another option. I mean, it's definitely more risky given the <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna take on more risk. But again, without you know, there is no reward without more risk. And this is the wrong time for me to bring this up, but yeah. <laughs> we have to do we have to do an episode on preferred shares because do preferred shares? Yeah. Right. Some of that away. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just wanted to jump in about the index because I remember some rundowns on the rational reminder saying that the bond indexes last year actually did very well. Right. So I, I don't, because I don't invest in them, I don't know how much about the workings of them, but apparently the bond index did well compared to the equity index last year. And that's fair. I don't track any bond indices in no. my portfolios. I use Vigo as my bond allocation. And oh, I'll before we go, I'll shout out again to Copower, which was a private bond that I bought right three, three right. years the green ago bonds. now. It's a green bonds, right? Like it's a small amount of money, but it's in part of my bigger portfolio. And hey, you, it's I've gar- I've locked myself in. Well. Okay, quote unquote, locked myself into a five percent return for the term of that bond. So there right. are opportunities to lend money, which what let's get down to the brass tacks here. Bonds are lending money. Yes, exactly. Just because you lend it on an index or on the stock market, you're you are have become a lender. Yeah. That you've asked for your principal to be paid back with interest along the way. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I I think now is a time for people to look at their plan and their portfolio and figure out as for right now, where does this asset class have a place in my portfolio? It's a great question. The economist. Yeah. How's that whiskey? Delicious. (laughs) Well, my beer's almost done, so I might have to go get another. Uh, this juicy data brought to you by Victoria Curling Club, which is... And, and Hellasees. Yeah, well, uh, Victoria Curling Club is the center of curling excellence on Vancouver Island. <laughs> of course it is. Cheers, boys. We haven't curled there for a while, but we will again in the fall. Cheers. Or the spring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, please send us your comments and your thoughts on the bond discussion because... Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. It really is an interesting yeah. one, and I think we all have different allocations in our portfolios and different reasons why we have it. And uh, age plays a lot of part, but I, I yeah, yeah, our I opinion. Be interested is, to hear everybody else's thoughts for sure. For sure, you're finally going to say this is our opinion only. I just I <laughs> squeeze it in there at the end, <laughs> and this is our opinion only. <laughs> <laughs> all right, boys, all right, uh, gents. Good chatting again, as always, and we will see you next time on the FI Garage. Good night. Farewell. Till next time. 